Turn in your copy of Scripture to Mark chapter 2. We're looking at what it means to be blessed and how do we experience blessing in life. The definition of blessing is a life that is soaked in satisfaction and consumed with contentment even when circumstances would argue against it. Now, how do we get to the place where we have that kind of life? Today we're looking in Mark chapter 2 specifically at how we are blessed because Jesus gives us help even when we're helpless or all the time, which is where I am, always helpless, right? Um, As you're turning to Mark chapter 2, I'm pretending like you're not there because I need to say something else. Have you noticed that's what preachers do? They tell you to turn to a passage, give a little doodad, and then have a built-in announcement. And you've been at Mark chapter 2 for three minutes now, but Let me go ahead and pretend like you're not there and say these words while you're turning there. Sorry, it's preachery. Um, As you can tell, the platform looks a little bit different, and the reason is because starting at 4 o'clock this afternoon, we're having a family get-together at First Norfolk. We're going to start with some activities in the lobby, and then we're going to have... a a wonderful time of celebration uh, uh, as our uh, worship arts team uh, present, I want to say feed the sheep, but it's uh, we the sheep. We like sheep, um, which is a call out to we like sheep have gone astray, each one to his own way, and the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. Neil's saying yes, so uh, the parable of the sheep, the lost sheep. Luke chapter uh, 11, 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 15, Luke 15. <laughs> I knew it'd get there. Uh, but uh, we'll have uh, We Like Sheep, uh, and then uh, somewhere in there, we're going to have a wonderful time of uh, a family business, our church conference. Uh, so you make uh, sure and be here, if at all possible, for our family get-together this afternoon. Um, I have a granddaughter. Her name is Lucy. Also Nora, but Lucy, Lucy, I'm not going to say she's with us, but she's close. I have a granddaughter. Her name is Lucy, and she's a little over a month now, a month old, uh, and uh, she is light in my world, and, and it's wonderful. And and one of the things that uh, I forget because it's been a long time since I've had a little uh, little bitty baby in the house, um, uh, but I forget uh, that babies are helpless. Am I right? Uh, little bitty babies are helpless. If they're going to f- uh, eat something, you've got to feed them. If they're going to be clean you've got to take care of the cleaning. Uh, But here's the thing about little babies. Little babies can't let you know when something's wrong. Uh, They can't verbalize it. They let you know because God built them with a great set of lungs, and they can can let you know. For this reason, if you have a newborn, uh, you go pretty regularly to the doctor. Uh, And as the baby gets older, you go less frequently because you get to know uh, the ins and outs of that baby. But but when it's a newborn, you go pretty frequently because it takes a doctor to see what we can't see. We might 
hear that there's something going on, whether it's fooding, uh, feeding, or changing a diaper, or something like that, or sleepy, or just, you know, they don't know what they don't know. They don't know what's wrong. They just, they want, they want something to fix what's wrong. And you take them to the doctor, and the doctor is able to diagnose certain things because they're able to see. And you want to stay on top of that because it's important to, to, uh, to, to make sure that if there's something wrong, you can take care of it. And so little Lucy, she went to the doctor last week, and, uh, and she's great. Ten pounds, yes, ten pounds. Yes. A wonderful, beautiful, uh, head full of hair daughter. Looks just like her mother, and that, for that we are thankful. Um, but uh, anyway, it, if you want to know what's wrong, you go to the doctor, especially for a little baby. Well, the passage we're looking at today brings us into that setting where um, we have to recognize that there's something wrong with us. I, I want you to hear this because we don't really like to talk about this, uh, although we should. Um, we are a room filled with broken people and bad people. That's who we are. Broken and bad. And we gather here not because we exalt our brokenness or our badness. We're here because our brokenness has been made whole and our badness has been overcome by Christ's goodness. And because of our connection with Jesus, we who were the broken and we who are the bad have been made whole, even though we didn't do anything to contribute to our wholeness. Today, as we look at Mark chapter 2, I want us to lean into verse 17, and we'll look verses 1 through 17, but I want us to lean into verse 17. Now, now get the message that Jesus is saying. Now, beginning of verse 1, Jesus is in Capernaum, uh, a city on the Sea of Galilee, a coast, coastal city like Virginia Beach or, or, or uh, Seven Cities of Hampton Roads. It's a coastal community, um, and Jesus is there. He's ministering. He's doing great things. Uh, in verses 1 through 12, there's a guy that's broken. Uh, he's a, paraly a paralyzed man, and he's come, and he, got, he gets in front of Jesus. Jesus makes him whole. Then beginning in verse 13, Jesus meets a guy named Levi who's a tax collector. And uh, anytime, if you were telling the story in the Jewish uh, community of the first century, if you said tax collector, the whole crowd would say, Boo, exactly, y'all got it. And so he's a tax collector, and the whole crowd said, because he's bad, very, very bad. And Jesus approaches him and says, follow me, and Levi leaves everything to follow Jesus, and then he throws a banquet, and it's a banquet of the bad. All of Levi's friends, none of them are church-going folk, none of them, uh, all of them been kicked out of church, every single one of them. They were not included, they were not allowed to be a part of church I mean, they were excommunicated and rejected and isolated and ostracized. They didn't have uh, be able to hang out with their family. And, and so what we find is Levi, his only friends, were a bunch of bad people. They were uh, tax collectors and sinners. And everybody says, tax collectors and sinners. Boo. All right. And so uh, Levi wants to celebrate the new life he has because he, now he's following Jesus and he brings all these bad people together and Jesus is there too. 
Now, Jesus is good. He is perfect in every way, and he is hanging out with a bunch of bad people. Not only does he help broken people, but now he's going to help bad people. I mean, bad people, and the religious leaders get upset because Jesus is hanging out with a bunch of tax collectors and sinners. Y'all going to have to get on top of it. (laughs) Jesus is hanging out with a bunch of tax collectors and sinners, and yet Jesus hears and perceives what these religious folks are upset about and verse 17. All right? That's a long way to get to verse 17, but it's worth it. Verse 17, when Jesus heard their complaint, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. You could put in the margin right there after that first sentence, duh. (laughs) But that's the point. Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I did not come to call those who think they are righteous. Now, your translation is going to say those who are righteous, but in the context of that verse, we know that Jesus' words are dripping with irony because he's referring to the Pharisees, and they thought they were really, really, really religious and righteous, but Jesus uh, evaluated them not from their human uh, outward expressions of religion. Jesus evaluated them according to the holiness of God. And even though they thought they were righteous, they weren't. They were just as bad as tax collectors and sinners. All right. Jesus said, but those who are, uh, I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. As we look at this passage, like a newborn baby, you and I And all humanity gathers together as helpless, unable to fix what's broken or what's bad in us. Every single one of us. The thing we have in common, every person here, you may come from a different different, uh, socioeconomic background. You may come from a different part of the country. You may come from a different country altogether. Uh, You may have different experiences, different home lives. Uh, You may have different uh, uh, situations that you're facing, have different jobs, different kinds of relationships, but here's what we all have in common. We all gather here today as people broken and bad. The question is, are we formerly broken and made whole? Are we the bad ones who've been covered by the goodness, the righteousness of Christ, or not? So this morning, I I want us to see, and and, a real simple message, it really is, it's real simple, so I'm going to try try not to take as much time as I took in the earlier hour to tell a real simple message, but, but I want you to get the point. We are helpless to fix the bad and the broken in us. But Jesus is the great physician who helps us in our helplessness. Jesus is the great physician who helps us in our helplessness and leads us to wholeness. If, if, if we don't allow the disease of pride to make us very religious and keep us in brokenness or in badness. So as we look at this passage, 2.17, Mark 2.17, Jesus gives a proverb. That's the duh verse. Um, uh, What he's saying is, if you you have a, a doctor, a physician, 
And the only time he'll see you is if you're already made well, then that's not the kind of doctor you want. The doctor that you want is the one that's going to see you when you're sick. Can we all get an amen? What use is a doctor who will only encounter you, inspect you, take care of you when you're well? You want a doctor. In fact, the whole premise of that first proverb in verse 17 is, The point of a doctor is to take care of sick people. So Jesus takes the proverb and then he gives his purpose statement. This is the purpose statement of his life and his ministry and why he's on earth, why he left the throne room of heaven, became uh, a baby in a manger, fully God yet fully man. This is the purpose statement of his daily ministry. This is the purpose statement of his life, the reason he lived and breathed perfectly in the sight of a holy God and then died on a cross for sinners like you and me and was raised from the dead three days later. The very reason of Jesus he gives right here in the second one. It's his purpose. He said, I came not to call the righteous or those who think they're righteous. I came to call sinners to repentance. Now friends, here's something we need to understand. If all we do as a church is take care of people who think they're righteous and we don't do what Jesus did by going to those who are broken and bad with the good news of God's rescuing love, then we are failing as a church. Complete and utter failure. We are the Pharisees, not Jesus. So today, what we need to do is we need to understand what Jesus was doing. We need to see how it applies to our lives, and we need to walk out of here with a motivation that God gives us to be like Jesus and and get to Jesus and help others get to Jesus. All right? So here's the simplicity of the passage. Um, The first thing that we need to understand And I've said it, and we'll continue to say it. When we are connected to Jesus by faith, when we have repented our sin, come into a relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ, when we are new creatures in Christ, when there's been a transformation in our lives, where we are no longer strangers from God, but now we're sons and daughters of God through faith in Christ. When we are connected to Jesus, we are blessed. Our lives are soaked in satisfaction and consumed with contentment contentment, even though our circumstances are terrible. And the reason is because we're connected to Jesus, and Jesus is the blessing for us. So when we look at this passage, we're looking at Jesus who identifies himself as the great physician. And here's what he does in verses 1 through 17. He has come to help the broken. Now, there are two points to this message. And, and boy, I'm giving it all to you early. Um, Not so you can leave early. Some of y'all need to check in before you check out. That's all I'm saying. Uh, The first one is Jesus uh, Jesus helps the broken. The paralyzed man can't help himself. The second point, and we'll get to it in a few minutes, is Jesus helps the bad. I asked my family uh, what these two points should be because I struggled. In the passage, I began, here's where I began. Jesus helps the helpless. And Jesus helps the scandalous. 
Okay, and and then and then I, I thought, well, scandalous. Maybe you won't identify well enough with scandalous. So I thought, okay, well, let me change it. Jesus helps the weak, and Jesus helps the wicked. And again, I thought, well, you're not gonna you're not gonna readily embrace the idea of being wicked. So I, I this morning as I'm I'm praying through the message, God changed, uh, helped me find the words that I think are appropriate and help. Help you take hold of it. Jesus helps the broken, and Jesus helps the bad. Uh, um, and and I don't want I, I to preach point two without getting to point one, but all of us will be able to identify with broken. Uh, we know that so much of our world, so much of our life is broken. And the brokenness that we experience sometimes is because of circumstances that happen to us. In my life, the brokenness I feel is 99.9% because of the sin that I've done. All of us experience brokenness. What we may not understand is that brokenness is a direct result of sin and, and an indirect result of sin. When Jesus is coming to Capernaum in verses 1, 2, 3, and 4, Jesus is in Capernaum and he's preaching the words of life. He's preaching words of promise. He's saying you can have hope in this hopeless world. He's saying you can have hope for your marriage even though it seems broken. He's saying you can have hope for your job even though it seems broken. You can have hope for your emotions even though they're shattered and broken. You can have hope for your relationships even though everything seems dark and broken. And Jesus gives words of life. And those words of life, the life is found not in what we do about these things, but what Jesus has come to do for us in the midst of these things. So as, we, as Jesus picks up and, and he's ministering in Capernaum, he's in a house and there are four guys who, and you know this story, right? Uh, if you have been raised in Sunday school or read any Sunday school lessons, you, you've heard this story. There are four guys, and they have been listening to Jesus share words of life, and it's changed them. They believe that Jesus is the hope of their life, that Jesus is the help for them in their helplessness. And so, uh, they're... Uh, around this house, and they see a man who's paralyzed. His body is broken. And he can't get to Jesus. But these four guys believe so much that Jesus can help this broken man be made whole that they pick up a cot, they climb to the top of a roof, they dig a hole in the roof, and they drop this paralyzed man in front of Jesus. Now look at verse 5. When Jesus saw their faith, the faith of the four men as well as the paralytic, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. And some of the scribes were sitting there reasoning in their hearts, why does this man speak blasphemies like this? Who can forgive sin but God alone? But immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they reasoned thusly within themselves, he said to them, why do you reason about these things in your heart? Which is easier to say? 
uh, to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, arise, take up your bed, and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. And immediately, the man who was formerly broken, but now is made whole, rose up, took the bed, and went out into the presence of them all, so that all were amazed and glorified God, saying, we've never seen it like this before. So here's, here's what I want you to, I, I believe that God would have you see in this passage. The man who was broken couldn't help himself. There's no way he could pick himself up and get in front of Jesus. He couldn't help himself. He was helpless. He was helpless in his paralysis. He was helpless in his sin. And Jesus... The great physician took the man in his brokenness and made him whole. Physically, yes, but more importantly, spiritually. He forgave his sin. I, I don't know what's broken in your life, but I know that there's a lot of brokenness in our lives. As First Norfolk family, I, I, I pray for you every Tuesday. You write down on, on the back of a blue card what your need is, and I, on Tuesday, take those needs, and I pray for those needs, and I've been praying for you, and as I pray for you, I know that there are a lot of things that are broken in our lives, and we want to fix them, but we can't. We're helpless, and that's why I want to share with you this one hope this one promise, that if you'll get to Jesus, what is broken will be made whole. Look, uh, relationships are complicated, right? Jobs are difficult. Our culture is crazy. But Jesus is the answer. I mean, Jesus is the answer. There's no way that we can fix the brokenness of our soul, the brokenness of our body, the brokenness of our life, or the brokenness of our world without Jesus. We can offer up all kinds of solutions. We can offer up all these ideas of, of how to feel better in our body. And so we offer up a solution. If I want to feel better in my body, I feel out of place in my body. So what am I going to do? I'm going to recreate my body. But that's not the answer to what's broken. What's, the answer to what's broken is only found in connection with Jesus who takes what's broken in us in our spirit and in our body and makes us whole. The answer is Jesus. And Jesus helps the broken. Second one is we're blessed because Jesus helps the broken, but we're also blessed because Jesus helps the bad. I don't want you to think that you're not bad. I, and I know that sounds weird, right? I mean, um, I, I want you to understand you are the bad. Tax collectors and sinners. That's you. And that's me. We're the bad. I can pretend. I can play. 
I can act like I'm okay. I can be like the Pharisees and, and act like I've got it all together because I'm following a bunch of rules, but deep down in my body, deep down in my soul, deep, deep in the recesses of my mind, I know that I am bad because I am a sinner. Read with me verse 13. Uh, Jesus went out again by the sea, and and a multitude came to him, and he taught them. And he passed by, and he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax office. And he said to Levi, follow me, and and Levi arose and followed Jesus. A lot of words. uh, There's a lot of stuff happening in verse 14. Um, There are four fishermen among the disciples that we know of. Who are the four fishermen? Do you all remember? Peter, Andrew, James, John. These are four fishermen. Now, Levi was the tax collector in Capernaum. Capernaum was the coastal town. If you were a fisherman, that means that you went out on the Sea of Galilee, you caught your fish, you came back to the sea, uh, came back uh, to the city of Capernaum. When you got off the boat, there was a guy sitting at a table who would do calculate, calculate your catch Uh, of fish and then charge you tax on those fish. (laughs) Now you're getting it. So when, when Jesus and the disciples approached the table where Levi was sitting, James, John, Peter, and Andrew, they all knew Levi. They had done business with Levi. They had been robbed and rooked by Levi. Tax collecting in that day, uh, the, the Roman government would uh, say, you collect 5%, and then the tax collectors would add another 5%. They would keep 5% for themselves and give 5% to Rome, see? So when, when, the, when, when the disciples were surrounding that table and Jesus saw, and he looked into the heart of Levi, and he saw Levi and stopped at the table, Simon and, and uh, Andrew, James and John, you know that they were thinking, oh, now it's getting ready to get good. Oh, yeah, our teacher is about to bust over the head on this Levi. He's about, to, he's about to condemn him. He's about to call down curses from God himself on Levi. Instead, what does Jesus do? Jesus looked at Levi, and he said, follow me. And... The disciples were aghast. How could he do this? Well, it's because Jesus loves the bad, like you and me, like Levi, like Peter, James, Andrew, and John. Jesus loves us and calls us to a new way of life, to follow him. The Scripture, and, and there are other accounts of this in the Gospel, the, the Scripture is very clear that immediately, Uthus, oh, sorry, I wasn't supposed to use a Greek word, but immediately Levi gets up from his table, leaves all his old life behind and pursues Jesus because he knew that if he was going to walk in blessing, he had to follow Jesus. Now, verse 15. Now, it happened as Jesus was dining in Levi's house that many tax collectors and sinners 
also sat together with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many, and they followed him. Scribes and Pharisees saw him eating with tax collectors and sinners. They said to his disciples, how is it that he eats and drinks with tax collectors and sinners? When Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Now, here's the thing about Levi and about uh, his friends. They could not remove the bad in their life. They were stuck with the bad. They were stuck with the sin, just like you and I are. We can't do enough good stuff to make up for the bad stuff in our life. We can't reform our way out of the bad. We are sinners, and our sin has separated us from God, and our sin has broken our life, and Jesus came to take us who are sick in our sin and broken in our sin and bad because of our sin and make us whole. Jesus helps the helpless. Jesus helps the bad. You. He helps you. In your worst. Not in your best. Jesus takes you at your worst. He's taken me at my worst. And and the worst of me, Jesus didn't overlook. He didn't pretend like it wasn't there. No, he took it to a cross and he died in my place for my sin. And then he called me to live every day for him. He took me in my sin and he called me out of my brokenness and out of my badness into fellowship with him. Jesus helps the helpless. It's Romans 5. Even when we were still without strength, Christ died for the ungodly. That's my story, and it's yours. Levi was a very, very bad man because of his sin. And so he threw a party, and in the midst of the party, Jesus is there, Now, the only friends that Levi has are very, very bad people. When when you see that term sinner, it's more than merely the weak and the oppressed. When you see that term sinner, it's more than those who are merely ritually or religiously unclean. When you see the term sinner, you see wicked. You see scandalous. You see bad people. You see people. Get this. Here's the definition willfully and repeatedly willfully and repeatedly do things against the will of God. Can I, can I ask you, when was the last time you willfully did something that God didn't want you to do? That makes you a sinner. I mean, I'm a preacher. I'm a professional religionist. God help me. And it's easy to pretend like I'm like a Pharisee, but the reality is I'm a sinner. Willfully and repeatedly 
do something God doesn't want me to do. And that's what shatters our soul. That's what uh, separates us from blessedness. And here's what Jesus promises. That he will have a banquet with bad people and call us to repentance and forgive our sin and lead us to wholeness in life. So if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, if, if you are not yet a follower of Jesus, can I, can I make a plea? You're trying to move from brokenness to blessedness, from bad to blessed. There's only one way that you get to blessed. There's only one way you can have a life that is soaked in satisfaction, consumed with contentment, even when the circumstances around you stink. The only way you can look at relationships that are fragile or fractured, the only way that you can look at a job that is despairing, the only way you can look at life that is, um, that is not going the way you wished it would go and still be blessed and still have hope and find help is through a relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ. So if you're here today and you want to get on the blessed train and get off the broken and the bad train, if that's who you are, then I invite you to do this. First, you've got to admit that your sin is your problem and you can't fix it. Your sin is your problem, and you can't fix it. It's what breaks you, and it's what makes you bad. So you have to admit that your sin is your problem. And second, you need to believe that Jesus came to help you in your helplessness, that Jesus died on a cross for your sin, was raised from the dead to give you a new life, that Jesus is your only hope. So you need to trust in Jesus and turn from your sin. And then third, you've got to commit your life to Jesus. Release your life into the hands of Jesus. Say, I now belong to you forever. So if you're not yet a follower of Jesus and, and, and you long to experience the blessed life, that's That's it. You've got to admit that your sin is your problem. You've got to admit that Jesus is the only answer. Turn from your sin. Trust in Jesus. And third, you've got to give Jesus your life. Commit yourself to him. In a few moments, we're going to stand. We're going to worship the Lord together. And and while we're standing, there are going to be some ministers here at the front. You can come to them and and talk to them and and say, I need need Jesus. I need to choose him. I, I, I need what only I'm helpless. I need his help. If you are a follower of Jesus, okay, so, and majority of people in the room are followers of Jesus. There's been a time where you've admitted sin's your problem. You believe that Jesus is the only solution, and you've committed your life to him once and for all and for eternity. He's forgiven your sin. He's brought you into God's family, and you're now sons and daughters of God. So that's the majority of people in the room today. What does this mean for you? What, what does this mean for you and for me? Um. Well, the first thing it means is that we've got to be more like Jesus and get people to Jesus. You know, like, like, uh, uh, like the four friends, there was no cost that they weren't willing to pay. There was no difficulty they weren't willing to overcome. There was no criticism they weren't willing to endure because they believed that Jesus could help the broken be made whole. They did all that they did to get 
a broken person to Jesus. Like Levi. Levi's life was changed when he met Jesus, and he believed that Jesus could change all the bad people in his life. And you look, and verse 15 says, those bad people started following Jesus. Their life was transformed. Levi did everything he could to get the bad to Jesus. He believed that Jesus could change their life. Jesus himself said, I'm the great physician, and I've come to call bad people to rescue, to salvation, to repentance. We need to be like Levi or like those friends or like, um, like a First Norfolk uh, church member inviting a co-worker at CHKD to come to church. Get them to Jesus. Or like Carol Dale several weeks ago invited her friend to, to come to church and, and, and her friend embraced Jesus and followed the Lord in believer's baptism. Look, that, that's the story and it's happening in our church, but, but we've got to be ever more extravagant of inviting people. Get to Jesus. We've got to get people to Jesus. The same way that we have an urgency to take my granddaughter Lucy to the doctor. We need to have that same urgency of getting our friends and our neighbors, our class worker, uh, classmates and our co-workers to Jesus. If you're a follower of Jesus, that's your job, to get others to Jesus. But what do you do as a follower of Jesus if you find yourself in broken places? You know what I'm talking about? Things aren't working. It's, it's, it's despairing what you're facing and what you're experiencing. How, what, what do you do in the broken of life? I believe this passage is for us too. As followers of Christ, when, look, when I have shattered pieces of my life because of sin, there is still hope and help from Jesus. When my life has been shattered on the rocks of circumstance and I'm broken, there's still hope and help for wholeness. So as followers of Jesus, when you find yourself in broken places or broken relationships, broken finances, broken family, broken um, um, job, broken um, spirit, broken emotions. What do you do? Can, can I give you some, uh, just three simple things? First, if you find yourself in a broken place, the first thing, don't be like the Pharisees and act like you don't need help. Don't be like the Pharisees and act like you can help yourself. If you're in a broken place, the first thing to do is admit, acknowledge that you're helpless. I'm helpless. Second, you admit, acknowledge that you're helpless. The second thing you need to do is hey, confess your sin and turn from it. Now, you might say, well, my sin, what I, uh, my job is a wreck. It's broken, not because of anything that I've done. Well, that may be true, but can I, can I give you a little insight into the way God works things? 
what I've realized that the key for me to find help in every circumstance of every situation, the key for me to find help is to make sure that I'm walking hand in hand with Jesus. And the only way I can keep walking hand in hand with Jesus through thick and thin, through bright or dark, through joy or despair, the only way I can keep walking hand in hand with Jesus is to make sure that I'm radically and ruthlessly repenting of the sin that I willfully do. This is what separates us from despair. It's that I am, I am diligent, I am determined throughout the day to wake up in the morning and say, I have sinned. Jesus, this is my sin. I confess it and I turn from it. You want, you want to find wholeness in your brokenness? Begin by making sure that your relationship with Jesus is on track. So admit your need, confess your sin, and turn from it. And third is the thing that we know to do. Release your life into the hands of Jesus. Let him direct your steps. Let him guide your path. Let him guard your emotions. Let him put a, put a, 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 a chain on your tongue. Let him be the Lord of your life. Surrender and submit to him. And I can promise you through personal experience, if I will follow those three things, I admit that I'm, I, I'm helpless. I, I confess my sin and I turn from it. And Jesus, you got control, absolute control. If I live my life like that every single day, by that it's called discipleship, but if I live my life like that every single day, I can promise you I will walk in blessing. I will find wholeness. And I'll, feel, I'll be soaked in satisfaction. Not a lot of glitz and glamour to this message, but I do want to invite you. Man, come to Christ today. Whether it's for the first time or as a regular discipline of a follower of Jesus, come to Christ today. He is your hope. He is your help. Would you bow your heads with me, please? If you're here today and you long to become a follower of Jesus, uh, you know that that is the need of your life, that, that you are separated from God by your sin. I'm going to invite you to come in a moment when we stand to sing. You come and, and share that, that desire with one of the ministers here at the front. If you're here today as a follower of Jesus and there is something broken and you, you, man, you, just, you need Jesus to make you whole, as a follower of Christ, maybe you need to come to the front of this platform. We call it an altar here, but you come to the front of this out, uh, platform and, and you cry out to Jesus. And he promises to give you the grace and the mercy that will help you right now. Lord God, whatever it is that you desire to do in the lives of those who have gathered here, I pray that you would do it and I pray that you would transform lives. I pray that those who are far from you, that you would draw them to yourself. They would be radically rescued by your grace. For those who are walking through um, shattered pieces of their life as followers of Christ, I pray that you would help them take hold the hand of the great physician, our great high priest, Jesus, the Son of God, that they would find wholeness today. I pray, oh God, that you would do a healing work among us. 
and that you would be glorified as we worship you in spirit and in truth. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray.